Welcome to the Utah Episcopalians. Now, this is a podcast of the Episcopal Diocese of Utah, where we look at our unusual church and our unusual place that we all live, Utah and Northern Arizona. And I'm Craig Worth of the Diocese, and with us today, a very special guest, we have the Reverend Kurt Wiesner, who is the rector of St. Paul's Church here in Salt Lake, and I'll explain why we're going to do that, why we have Father Wiesner, and it's because I was reading the St. Paul's Church newsletter, and I saw a listing for the longest night service, and I thought, wow, now here's an important topic of this season to talk about. You know, we talk about the holidays, we talk about Advent, we talk about Christmas, but this is a topic that affects many of us, perhaps all of us, to one degree or another. And I immediately contacted the insightful rector of St. Paul's, and I'm so grateful that he's with us tonight. Let's start. What is the longest night service? More importantly, why do we have the longest night service? Welcome. Yeah, thanks, Craig. I think the place to begin is the obvious thing is the Christmas season that's upcoming. And we all know that Advent uh, is this uh, preparation and this quiet and the time uh, before, and it always crescendos to Christmas Eve. And if there's one thing that marks Christmas Eve, it's joy. Joy is the big thing of Christmas Eve. Families are getting together. Uh, there's excitement over Jesus's birth and exchanges of gifts and all the things that are wonderful liturgies and music. And it's all defined by joy. The, you know, the star, the shepherds, the uh, Christmas pageants, uh, the choirs in full blossom and filled churches. I mean, if you want to, you know, the, the attendance goes up. It's <laughs> just that exciting, joyful time. And the truth is, is that um, joy, uh, while a mark of Christmas, isn't a universal feeling that everyone has at this time of year. And in fact, um, for many people, the holidays are really hard. And um, there's different reasons for that. Sometimes it's um, an acute thing. Something has happened recently. Uh, perhaps uh, there's been uh, a conflict in the family, so they're not doing the usual. Um, someone may be sick. Someone, uh, it may be a first Christmas without grandma. I mean, it could be anything. But for some reason, the joy um, is different or perhaps not existent and present. And um, Christmas can be really difficult because it's not just that, that we're experienced joy. We want to see joy on everybody's face. We want to hear joy in everybody's expression. And um, for the longest time, that has required of anyone who goes to church on Christmas Eve a um, certain um, need to at least express joy, whether they're feeling it or not. And the longest night, or also known as Blue Christmas, is a service that usually happens the week before, sometimes exactly on winter solstice, which is the longest day of the year, to um, 
acknowledge that, you know, that, that joy might not be what we're feeling. And in fact, we might really be hurting. So the longest night service is a quiet, reflective, pondering service that may point towards Christmas and point towards the presence of God and certainly says God is present in the midst of what we're experiencing. It does not require the person to then wish everybody Merry Christmas or to say, all right, now, now, now I'll leave that behind because I've got to be joyful. And so I have found that this longest night service um, is a very powerful one. Um, and, and there are numerous reasons why people go. Again, I mentioned that acute thing, something has recently happened, but um, sometimes people's loved one actually died close to Christmas or Christmas as it once was will never be again. But this becomes a chronic thing. And, and um, Chris, as the closer you get towards Christmas, the harder it gets in someone's life. So there is a lot of grace and a lot of room to do what we say that we always want people to do when it comes to church, come as they are. You think that um, there's a feeling of, oh my gosh, I don't want to admit that I'm having this issue, or I feel that I'm the only one. You know, you, you sit in a pew and you look around and you go, they must be all so happy. And I must be the only one that feels that way. Do you find more and more, if you really were to ask everybody, that this would touch us all in some way, some perhaps more profoundly, but that it's something that really does affect us? Absolutely. I, I think there's so often uh, we think that we're the ones that are wrong. We're the ones with the problem. We're the ones that are uniquely in this uh, not good place. And um, and we have a lot of assumptions. I, you know, you mentioning it uh, made me think of, of a story that I've heard numerous times of to uh, when the person who's experienced deep loss um, goes to a wise person and says, how, how do I heal from this? And they say, all you have to do is go to through the home that has no sorrow. And so they, of course, go to the rich person's house first because they assume, well, they're rich. Of course, they have no problems. And says, is this a house without sorrow? And of course, it's not because it's human. And they tell about their sorrow and this or that. And they go to the next house or maybe a house, you know, and, and so on and so forth. And in the midst of going from place to place, they never find a home without sorrow. But in the sharing of sorrows, they are at least on the path towards healing. And I think that's exactly what you're referring to, uh, the assumption that we all have to be joyful, that we all have to be happy, that we all have to uh, be a certain thing for Christmas. Um, that um, isn't universally true, and everyone struggles with one thing or another. Now, I, I do think, though, that communities in general um, uh, require often of people a certain amount of emotional labor. If you're going to, you know, uh, to a, a celebration, if you're going to a party, it's expected that you're in the party mood. And so I think it's harder at Christmas than say on any given Sunday, because again, that expectation we have that Christmas is that special joyful moment. 
So I think it's really, um, again, uh, having it on the longest night, the winter solstice right before Christmas Eve um, is a really wonderful option. I mean, some people go to both services. I mean, some people go both to the longest night and then also to Christmas Eve, not because they've been miraculously healed, but, but they know where they want to be. And Christmas Eve is one of those places that they want to be. Uh, but going through the longest night, going through um, the road towards healing without being required to reach that destination, I, I think is very powerful. Do you think this year is especially important to think about the longest night because we're so divided as a country? We're so divided in families. We're so divided in a city, not to mention the family dealings that you're talking about, perhaps traumas, perhaps sickness, perhaps death, but just the mood. You, you, you can't go through a conversation you, in, in line in a store checkout without some political thing or without just the unrest or financial issues. Do you feel that? Or is that just me as an older person now saying, oh, it's like that. But do you feel that we're, we're in that mood that we really need a service like this more importantly than we have before? Yeah. Well, I think it's a yes and because um, certainly we are all aware of the political divide and that it's been uh, tearing families apart. Uh, we know what's happening in the Holy Lands, and that dramatically impacts um, the way, at least I'm feeling, about Advent and Christmas uh, with, with so much suffering and so much hurt. And, and you know, I, I know Jewish friends who, you know, had to wonder if it's safe to put up their menorah in their window. I mean, there's, you know, I know of my Muslim friends who are worried that the person walking down the street may attack them simply because they're the color of their skin. I, it's, it's bad. There's a lot of bad, challenging things. Um, interesting enough, when, when I uh, was looking for uh, articles on August night, Blue Christmas, I, I figured that something in the midst of the pandemic would have been done. But the article I found was actually from uh, Weekend Edition, NPR, 2019. So I don't think that, um, I don't think it's new. We're, it might be that we're talking about it a little bit more, acknowledging it a little more, that we have the space to, to admit such realities that all isn't well. There's no way, you know, it's harder and harder for uh, groups of people to come together without conflict. So, um, I don't think it's new, but I think it's more on our minds. What's going to happen if I, in the dark, because it's dark now about five o'clock in the afternoon, and I go over to this beautiful church just outside of downtown Salt Lake City on 9th East, and I walk into that church, what am I going to expect at that service? What am I going to see, expect, to feel, and you're, what are you going to tell us at yeah. that church? So um, I, I say the, the first thing is that there's gonna be very little asked of you here. You know, most of our Sunday service 
Uh, we're all going to sing together. We're all going to pray together. We're all going to reflect together. And other than the room for the reflecting, um, there are few demands that are uh, placed on anyone who walks in the door. I think last year we said one single prayer together. Everything else was essentially uh, placed by either myself or the musicians um, out there to experience. And then there were silences for reflection or pondering or simply to sit in that silent acknowledgement that God was present. Um, I, I think that, um, so the last couple of years we've used the cello and there's nothing like a cello when it comes to uh, that very uh, deep pondering soul moving music uh, that that has a quality of both mournful and yet uh, something about it uh, has hope as well. Because we point towards hope, but we don't require people to reach that destination. Um, if, if, if I may, I, I read the prayer that we said together last year. And, and I don't know if we'll do this exact one or we'll do something different. God, we bring you our grief our own and the grief of others in the world. Although we may know you are with us as much in the dark as in the light, we admit that we often feel left in the dark, alone, angry, and fearful. Remind us tonight as you reminded all people through the ages that you are Emmanuel, God with us. You join us and continue loving us in our loneliness anger and fear. May we allow you to be with us, to be our provider, healer, comforter, and friend in the darkest of times. Amen. Amen to that. Do you hope that services such as Blue Christmas and The Longest Night become a deeper part of our Advent, become perhaps even into our uh, Christmas, uh, the uh, several weeks that we observe Christmas, do you think that they're, they're such an important part of what we now know, particularly as the season of Advent has changed, as the season of Christmas? And I even, I'm thinking of Advent changing, you're saying, well, how can that be? All you have to do is go into a grocery store and look at advent calendars which have nothing to do with preparation have nothing to do with the anxiousness with waiting and then you look of course at, at christmas and and uh on december 25th at about 5 p.m <laughs> it's over you know yeah. if you go to the store they're they're putting away things on the 50% off rack and you're back yeah. to uh, Muzak over the air rather than uh, Christmas carols. Would you like to see that these services become more important as our celebration, as our op observation perhaps even, so not celebration? Well, I, I like options for Advent because um, most of the time, the Advent experience is different for us from year to year. And uh, for some people, it's, it's, it's very much the same because, um, you know, if, if um, 
there's something that is always associated with Advent and Christmas. That's going to happen year after year. Um, uh, some people get that seasonal, um, find it hard with all the darkness, and that happens year to year. And, and I think that there will always be a need for an ad, a blue Christmas longest night for some people. I, I don't think it's um, something that, that necessarily uh, has to be experienced by everyone. But I think like anything in the church, uh, what I want first and foremost for everyone to know about it. So that, so that Craig, you could say to someone, you know, you know I'm not going to the service. I, I you know, it, it's 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 not where I am at this moment. But but I'm really glad that it's happening because I know that it's important for people, and it's important for me that it happens. And and I see that uh, in the growth where it's where it seems to be uh, being offered more and more in places. As I said, I went online before uh, we got on and. Um, the, the thing that popped up most was uh, the Episcopal Diocese of Central New York has 11 uh, Blue Christmas Longest Night services around its diocese. And I loved what they did for their introduction. They, they uh, at the top, it says, the holidays can be hard. We can bring that to God. Whether you're grieving or need a break from holiday stress, these thoughtful, meditative, quiet services offer comfort and hope. But I, I love that. The holidays can be hard. Full stop. Then we can bring that to God. God doesn't just want our joy. God just doesn't want our good. God wants us all and every part of us, especially the parts of us that, that, that we think we should have or we should be. And that gets back to that whole thing that that we're supposed to be and act a certain way leading up towards Christmas when the truth is that may not be where we're at. You know, as you're saying that, and as you express what um, that introduction in New York looked like, it almost sounds like the true meaning of the incarnation. It, it is that, that, if we were to go back and not to just do the traditional when Jesus was born, but why Jesus was born. Mm -hmm. And uh, it seems we got away from that a little bit, don't we? Yeah. That uh, that perhaps the longest night and blue Christmas brings us back to the why Jesus was born. I yeah. know, I'm no theological person now, but I'm just well, wondering. You know, it's, it's, yeah, it's not just the why, but... But but there's there's a funny thing. I, I've I've had lots of conversations with people that you know we we get all of our our biblical Christmas traditions from Matthew and Luke's stories, mm -hmm. and they could not be more different from each other. Only one has shepherds. Only one has a star. Only one has magi. Uh, only one involves a journey to Bethlehem. The other one is a journey out of Bethlehem because they're fleeing. There's so little that they actually have in common. But one thing that they have absolutely in common is that at the end of the story, almost nobody realizes that it's happened. Hmm. Almost no one sees this fundamental shift of what God is doing. 
perhaps because they're still in the darkness to play with that metaphor. Dawn hasn't fully broken yet. And people haven't realized that this new birth, as time goes on and Jesus develops as a human being and as a faithful Jew, that he comes to this place where he transforms the world. It doesn't all happen on the day that he's born. But both stories insist that some very unexpected people, poor shepherds or foreign magi, witness it. Mm. And everyone ponders what it might really mean. Wow. That's yeah. that's powerful stuff. That's a powerful story. And 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 what a better what better way than to to start our our, our next journey into this church year? Mm -hmm. You know, this is a hard question, and it's it's probably a very difficult question to ask a priest because, um, <laughs> uh, and what it is as we go into each each season. We go into each part of the season, and even in the Sundays of Advent, we go in, and there's an expectation that you feel a certain way when you walk out. Now, this is the hard question, and uh, I apologize for asking it because I don't know what the answer is going to be, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but what do you hope that when the service ends and people walk back out into the dark, on Ninth East, that perhaps they will feel, perhaps they will think or reflect, or what do you hope that perhaps they got out of this? Now, my, my first thought was that um, that I, I don't have a universal expectation. And then as I played with that for just a moment, I said, yeah, yeah I, I do. And that is, God is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. God is so close, and the vision that God has for the world is so close, it can be glimpsed and even touched, but it's not fully there yet. Uh, and this is very Markian, so we're in the year of Mark, so so this makes sure. sense. You know, that, those are those reflects Jesus' initial words, uh, first public words that he he says in, in, in that gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. That is the overarching message, believing in the good news. And Mark attempts to bring us into the moment where the sharing of the good news depends on us. Whoever we are, wherever we may be, that we have that gospel imperative to share the good news. And so I want people walking out with ideas saying, saying, what is this good news? Or, or, or how do I let it permeate every aspect of my life? Or how do I um, take the steps I need to call up the person I'm estranged from and have that difficult conversation? Or how can I remember to wake up every day and say, tell the people I, in my life that I love them? So there's endless permutations as to how someone might take that Christmas Eve message, but it's all focused ultimately on the good news, love, justice, peace.
And I would be really, really bad at what I do for a living if I didn't say, tell me when, where, all those types of things, the hours uh, of the service. Let's let's go through. I saw it in your newsletter. Not everyone that listens to the podcast gets your newsletter. So please um, tell me what we're talking about, where this beautiful church is, the time, and... Um, some of the things that also perhaps could go along with that once you've gone to that uh, service, if you want to just let us know exactly what we're getting into here. Sure. So uh, we have still two Sundays in Advent, believe it or not, Advent 3 and Advent 4, and our Sunday services are at 9.30 and the Choral Eucharist at 11 o'clock in the morning. And then the longest night service is on Thursday, the 21st at 7 p.m. So that is the Thursday before Christmas Eve. And Advent 4, um, just by quirk of the calendar, is the same day as Christmas Eve. So so all morning long, it's Advent 4. And then uh, we switch to our Christmas Eve services on um, in the in the evening at 5:30, and uh, the service officially starts at 11 o'clock. But we're going to do some Christmas caroling starting at 10:30. And and George and I have uh, our uh, music uh, director uh, have come up with a crazy idea this year. Uh, we've had concerts in the past for the half hour hour before, and this year we're saying here are the Christmas hymns in our hymnal. Uh, other than the five that we're doing in the service, we'll sing anything you want. So you wow. tell us. We're gonna we're gonna let people you know volunteer says let's 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 play let's play hymn eighty six. I have no idea what hymn eighty six is, but but George we'll, would and, know. George and, knows and every verse. Yeah, George and Enrique will be playing um, on the organ, and we'll sing them as a community. So I don't know if it'll work, but it sounds like fun to me because we don't get to spend a lot of time together uh, singing Christmas carols. So that's what we're going to do at 1030 on Christmas Eve. And yeah. we will have a Christmas Day service at 10 a.m. on the 25th. And is this the time to tell you where we're located? Oh, this would be a good time to say where you're located. 261 South, 900 East. So the quarter of, of 2nd South and 900 East. Yeah, and, and it is a church that um, you do have parking, and it's fairly close to tracks, and you got all kinds of, it's, it's a, I know yeah. that they planned that out in the 30s when they built that, that there would be tracks. and <laughs> Yeah, the track stop is very handy. I, I don't think there's, uh, I, you, could, you might uh, know better, but I don't think there's any Episcopal church that's closer to a track stop than, than uh, St. Paul's. Wow, I never thought of that. That that is true. I, I bet that. Yeah, because you got to go over to City Creek in order to to, to get over to the. To yeah, the there you so, go. Well, you have. I made that walk before. <laughs> you have a competitive advantage. <laughs> I, I so I, I I'll, I'll tell, you, tell you something. I, I was on a sabbatical, so I was off, and and um, one of the things that I did while I was off was went over to St. Mark's Cathedral for a Sunday service, and. Mm -hmm. Oh, it was great, Craig. They are packed. They're they're doing oh, they're, wonderfully. So Dean Tyler and and Holly, they're they're doing great stuff over. They so are. They are. And and you know, even though our churches use the same liturgy, yeah. even though there's a 
similarity between what we believe, but it's also, that is something that those of you who uh, perhaps at your local congregation don't have a longest night, this is a good time to go and see St. Paul's. Each one of our churches has a personality, whether it's the uh, architecture of the building, whether it's the the kind of the feeling of whether it's suburban, urban, whatever it is, or in, in Ogden or Vernal or yeah. all over the place, Moab. I mean, you go to a, Moab, a service at St. Francis in Moab, it's the same liturgy and it's so welcoming, yeah. but it's very different than the cathedral, very different than St. Paul's. And there are some special traditions. Las Posadas, I believe, is is a uh... I, I don't think it's happened yet. I think it's, it's, I think it's this upcoming week yes, over yeah. at St. Stephen's. And I think they've got one in Ogden as well. They do. They do. Yeah, there's one in Ogden, one at, uh, and in the newsletter uh, of the diocese, we have bells in there. Yeah, really wonderful traditions. But of course, the tradition we've talked about, and unfortunately, we are out of time, but the one tradition that has uh, been growing and and certainly a very important part of the season is the longest night, Blue Sunday in some of our congregations. Blue, Blue Christmas. Christmas. Blue I'm Christmas. sorry. Blue Christmas. Yeah. And and um I I think it's it's just a wonderful thing to bring out. And again, uh Father Wiesner, you just have brought so much to what our conversation of the season needs to be. We all hear the messages, we all hear the Advent messages, but you've brought a very important part of the season that helps our community, our beloved community in Christ that we have. And you've been listening to the podcast, The Apodcopalians, the podcast of the Episcopal Diocese of Utah. Thank you very much for listening.